Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sandals Church. Our vision as a church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, one of the great challenges that we have in our lives is living up to expectations. Whether they're expectations that we've placed on ourselves or expectations that we've had from other people, it's a challenge to live up to them. Because I think all of us deep down inside know that there's a great potential within us to be who we desire to be. And even as Christians, to be who we believe God has called us to be. But there's expectations that we feel like we have to live up to. If you're a student, uh, a young student, you feel like there's expectations from your parents (laughs) to be a certain kind of way. There's expectations from your friends and from your peers to uh, do certain things, to socially be accepted. There's expectations you deal with. For those of you who are transitioning out of school into young adult life, you have expectations. Like, have I done what my parents hoped I would do? Like, do I have anything in my life that smells remotely like a professional thing happening, right? (laughs) Do you have a job? Do I have a career? Do I have a direction? If you're in a serious relationship, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, there's expectations, right? Valentine's Day is coming. You, you better show up with something, right? If you're married, your husband, your, your wife, there's expectations. There's sometimes unspoken expectations, and that's problematic for a lot of us. And that's a whole other series, honestly. But we all deal with expectations. And the truth is, uh, we might be good at setting expectations, but we are not good at keeping them. And there is not a single relationship in your life right now in which you don't operate and engage with some level of expectations. And listen now, this is also true when it comes to your relationship with God. Whether you can identify them now or not, you have expectations of God, which is why sometimes the most natural question we have of God is, God, where are you? What exactly are you doing right now in the world? Which is where many of us find ourselves. What's happening in the world right now? The last two years have have been chaotic. We have looming deaths, um, looming concerns of wars around the world, an economic crisis that's coming, a mental health crisis that's happening constantly. It's hard to, to really feel just positive every day that, man, I see God working all the time. It's very natural for us to wonder, where is God at right now? And over the last several weeks, as we have started this new year, we have started this series, Holy Shift, in which we've been asking and praying that God would make significant changes in our lives. Deep change, not just kind of surface level, the new year's here, we want to do different things, but real change, holy shifts in our lives. And the last shift that we're going to make as we bring this series to a close is we're going to change our expectations of God going to change the way that we expect him to do things. Because he does things that don't make sense to us. He does things that bother us at times. And this is not a new problem. This is an ancient one. Jesus, when he arrives on the scene, has to deal with these same kinds of questions. You're here. God's here. The kingdom of God is here. It doesn't look like it. So it's very common for us to wonder where God is at. Where is he working? Think right now, maybe, where in your life have you felt like God maybe let you down. God didn't meet an expectation. Jesus is going to tell us a story. It's a parable, actually. 
It's going to help us understand what it looks like to shift our expectations. And so I'm going to ask as we read from Matthew 13, you can open your Bible or turn on your Bible or look in the Sandal Search app. But uh, in honor of the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask that everyone stand for the reading of scripture. And let's take these words in together. We do this because we are reminded that the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew to write this in his gospel, that same Spirit says to us, Sandals Church today, these words. He presented another parable to them. He referring to Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are gathered together. We're gathered at churches. We're gathered in our homes. And we ask now that you would speak to us from your word. As we listen to this parable, God, would you transform us into people who can shift our expectations and actually see where you are at work in our lives? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that I think is uh, lost on so many people as we think about the person of Jesus is the fact that he was a brilliant person. Think about that for a second. Jesus was brilliant. He was and is a masterful teacher, a masterful storyteller. And one of the most common ways that he communicated and taught people was through stories, was through parables, like the one we just read from Matthew 13. In fact, the common phrase that he used throughout the entire gospel of Matthew is this phrase, kingdom of heaven. And it's often the case that when someone would approach Jesus and ask him a question, he wouldn't necessarily give him an answer, right? Which is so often the case, I think, for you and I. We need clarity from Jesus and rather we don't get it. But sometimes when Jesus would tell a story, he's not trying to give us clarity as much as he's trying to provoke our imagination, in other words, he gives us a parable because he wants us to rethink how we connect with God. He wants to challenge our assumptions. He wants to shift our expectations a little bit. And he does that here with this particular parable. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now remember the context. He's talking to people who, like us today, are asking Jesus, where is God at work? It doesn't look like he's working right now. You've arrived on the scene. You're supposed to be the Messiah. And you say the kingdom of heaven is here. Rome is still in office. They rule us. They dictate everything we do. How is this kingdom here? And what is this kingdom you speak of, Jesus? And I think a helpful way for us to imagine what the kingdom is like is this. The kingdom of heaven is a way for Jesus to say that God is now available to everyone. He's available. And you can access him. You can experience his, his rulership in your life. And his rulership in your life is one of love, one of peace, and one of you and I experiencing a full life. That's what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God is here. It's available. Repent, turn from your ways, and enter into this kingdom. Enter into the fact and the reality that God is available to you. And that you can actually experience love and experience life that was the way it was always meant to be experienced. But his listeners are like, well, it doesn't feel like that. 
That's not the kingdom that I see. That's not the world that I see around me, Jesus. Help us understand. Help us explain what you mean. Because what, is, what does this actually look like? And one, one thing that I think of often when I imagine the kingdom, I think of something that I have at my home called dad tax. There's dad tax. Now, my son, who's eight years old, he's been around for a while. He's been in my kingdom for some time. So he knows about dad tax. Dad tax is any moment and any given time, I can take what I want from my children. And this primarily happens when we're eating food. So I serve them food, put it on the plate, drop it in front of them. He looks at me and says, oh, no, dad, don't do it. I said, it's dad tax time, son. I get to enjoy a portion of what you are consuming right now. It's mine to eat. It's mine to enjoy because this is my kingdom. And my, listen now, my will is exerted freely, right? And I could take what I want. Now, in a similar way, that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is here. In other words, God's will is exerted freely now through me. But what's so beautiful about this upside down kingdom is rather than God taking from us, he gives to us. But he gives to us in a unique kind of way, in a way that doesn't always make sense. Why? Because he likens it to a mustard seed, a mustard seed. See, here's what you and I need to consider. If you're taking note, write this down. We often look for God where we think he should be, not where he actually is. Let me say that again for some of you guys. We often look for God where we think he should be, not where he actually is. Because Jesus says, it's a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed. And this is the problem that we have. Essentially, Jesus' point is this. Life is not always the way it appears to be. It's not. God is working. And it's up to us as we embrace the story to rethink where we actually find God working. So first, notice this. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Not a mountain, not an army, not a sword, not a great celebrity, not a powerful movement, a mustard seed. Here's the first thing I want us to consider. God is working, listen now, God is working in what appears to be insignificant. A mustard seed is insignificant. Out of all the things to liken your kingdom, the kingdom that everyone's going to come and find life in, it starts like a mustard seed. It's so insignificant. So meaningless. It's just a seed, Jesus? Yes. Jesus wants us to shift what we think is significant in the world. Because so for many of us today, man, what's significant is influence today. What's on my screen, that's significant. That's meaningful. Whoever has reach, who's ever got pull, whoever my plug is, whatever's trending, that's significant. And so it's so natural for us today to equate influence and significance. And then to calculate in my life, well, if I don't have a lot of influence, if what I'm doing seems so non-influential, I must not be a significant person. And what's happened over the last two years, and sociologists everywhere have acknowledged this, there are so many people who are mentally and emotionally feeling and asking the question, what is the point of what I'm doing? If the world continues to spin the way it does, and for some of us it's spiraling, What's the point of me and what I'm doing? It feels so insignificant, so insignificant because I don't have influence. And what I think, what I post, what I tweet just doesn't seem to actually create any kind of change. 
We're all for all the stances we take, but we have very little seriousness when it comes to those stances because we don't think we are significant. But listen, here's the point. God loves to choose what appears to be insignificant to do great things through. Remember what Jesus says in the parable. When it grows, in other words, it will grow. Nothing will stop this seed. The same is true for you. You are enormously significant and nothing in hell will stop what God desires to do in your life. You are important. You are massively important. You're a young student feeling like, man, this school is so big. You're significant. It appears insignificant. It appears as if you have no meaning. It appears as if you are just wondering what's the point. There's something beautiful coming. You're a single mom. You're raising a kid. You're not just a single mom raising a kid. You are building an entire generation that's going to break generational curses as you share and embody what it's like to to follow Jesus in a real way with your life. You are enormously significant. All of us are. And it takes us embracing this call of mustard seed living. Because this is the way that God has always worked, you guys. As you read through scripture, God constantly uses mustard seeds. Abraham, he's 80 years old. He's going to father the world. No kids. Mustard seed. His children, Jacob, a problematic deceiver like mustard seed. David, the last son of Jesse, the smallest of them all. It's a mustard seed. The prophet who comes before David, Samuel, the great prophet, born of a woman who prayed for years to have one child, Hannah, feels so small, mustard seed of a prayer. God, give me a son, mustard seed. The great prophets that we read of Isaiah. Listen, Isaiah preached for 50 years to nobody. (laughs) Imagine, Imagine P. Matt coming into this room for 50 years and just doing this but with none of you here. No one's listening. You talk about a mustard seed. Insignificance. Jeremiah Jeremiah was preaching while the world was falling apart. (laughs) Jerusalem, year after year, is losing more ground, more people as they are carried off into captivity. God has always worked through mustard seeds. This is the way it works. What appears to be insignificant is deeply meaningful and purposeful. We got to embrace that. It only appears this way. Secondly, what we need to notice now is that the seed, Jesus says, is the smallest of all seeds. Now, some of you nerds are like, oh man, this is where the Bible's not true. (laughs) Scientifically, yes, we understand. But in in the day, Jesus is proverbially speaking here. The mustard seed was the smallest seed in that day. It's like us just saying, well, the Empire State Building is like the largest building. It's, It's a figure of speech. We're not trying to ask you to get out a measurement, right? We're just saying. But Jesus is saying it's the smallest, but it turns into the tallest. So here's what we secondly need to notice. Write this down. God is working in what appears to be too small to notice. It's not just that God works in what appears to be insignificant, but he works in what appears to be too small. And the tragedy of our lives is that God is working, yet we miss him all the time because it's just too small to even notice. One one of my favorite stories in Genesis 28, Jacob, we just mentioned him a second ago. His life, think about this, Jacob's life was a lie. His life was a lie. He's the exact opposite of our vision at Sandals Church. (laughs) He's the exact opposite. He's a deceiver. 
And, and in chapter 28, he's on the run from his own family. His own brother is ready to kill him. And out of mercy, his parents send him away. He's wandering in the desert. He's got no direction in life. He takes a nap, the text says, on a rock. Think about the struggle that that signifies. His pillow for his nap is a rock. And in this nap, God comes to him in this dream. It's beautiful. It's so profound. I mean, one, one of the things it just reminds us is that God comes to us all the time and we don't even deserve it. Nothing in Jacob's life is worthy of God's attention and yet he has all of God's attention. He has all of his attention and he gives to him this dream. It's commonly referred to as Jacob's ladder. And what's essentially happening in this dream is that God is just repeating the promise that he has made from the very beginning, that he will always be with him. And that he's got a plan for him and he's doing something in his life. And notice what it says there when Jacob woke up from verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, listen to this phrase, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I did not know it. The Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. I missed it. I missed it. You and I so naturally compartmentalize God and where we think he can work and where he's not working. So in the parts of our lives that just feel good and we're moving and we're flowing, like God is here. In the stagnant parts, in the ugly parts of our life, in the ugly parts of our soul, our character traits, it's hard for us to picture God working there. And so we rather not even address it, to be honest. We compartmentalize it. And to compartmentalize God is to dangerously try to relate to God and yourself. We cannot do this because when we talk about God's great love, and he loves us greatly, one of the ways that he expresses his great love for us is that he is in the details of our lives. He loves you so much, he's involved in the smallest of things that you might miss him in. He's fully aware of those things. He's fully aware. For example, consider the way Jesus himself was born. The promised Messiah. Many people in Jerusalem awaiting God's Messiah. The one who would liberate Israel. The one who would break the back of the Romans and finally give us the life that we've heard about constantly through the Psalms and from the prophets and from even the promise of Abraham. Who is this Messiah? A baby born under controversial, scandalous situations? Jesus of Nazareth? No. And I love what uh, Luke captures about the early life of Jesus. It's, it's found in Luke chapter 2. Notice this kind of encounter in the temple, the day that Jesus is actually presented as a baby by his parents, which was just Jewish custom of the day. It says this, there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon. He was righteous, devout, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Imagine getting that revelation, like that kind of confident message in prayer, like, man, I'm not gonna die until I see this. Some of you are living like that right now. Like, I can't die until I see this happen. Luke goes on. That day the spirit led him to the temple. So when, listen now, Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised 
God. Luke goes on to write that he just, he worshiped in song and in prayer after that. What's so profound about this moment is that in that day of the temple, what everybody else sees is just another Jewish family bringing in a child to be dedicated. But what Simeon sees is the Messiah. He doesn't miss the small things that God is doing. The mustard seed, the mustard seed. Uh, when, when I became a Christian, I was 20, 21 years old, wandering the streets of uh, UC Riverside <laughs> as a college student, working on a business degree. And my, my life, my life's gospel was essentially like work hard and just do what I want to do on the weekends. That's how I live my life. And I realized at a certain point, that I just felt so, so small, so small. My life was good, I had great parents. They were paying for my education, that was great parents. <laughs> <laughs> had a job, I had friends, I, I had like, my lane was good. And, and yet for whatever reason, this, this haunting cloud just seemed to constantly hover of just smallness, just feeling so small, especially in this massive world called college life. And then I met Jesus. 14 years later, truth is, I still feel very, very small, <laughs> but I have this beautiful grand vision of who God is now and of what he's doing in the world. And I think what's so profound is like, you know, we talk about the way people flex today. You see, God's flex is that he does big things, not with big things, but that God does big things with small things. That's God's flex. It's the way he loves to, to flaunt his stuff. Jesus was a brilliant teacher, but he, he never showed it off, right? I mean, he never overpowered people with his brilliance, his intelligence, because you and I know what it's like to be around smart people who are just so pretentious. And they just got to constantly remind you of how smart they are. That was never Jesus' intent. He never degraded anybody with his intelligence. He might have called you a fool, but he never degraded you. There was something profound about the way that God loves to show off his strength in smallness. And so as weird as this might sound, I want you guys to embrace your smallness right now. You want to see God work? You're wondering what God is doing in 2022 in the world? He's doing small things. He's doing small things with people who are small, who embrace who they are, because God loves to operate in this way, you guys. He loves to do it. And so I want you just to ask yourself this question. Where in your life are you maybe missing God because it appears too small? Where in your life right now are you missing God because it just appears too small? And consider for just a moment, as you embrace being small, that you watch God just start with your small beginning and turn it into a massive ending. Your prayer life feels small. You do what you can. Maybe your reading life, just your whole spiritual life, right? Throw it all in the box. It just feels so small. God's gonna do something massive with it. Your relationships feel so small. Your work life, right? What you're doing, just, it just feels so small, so insignificant compared to the movement of the world. 
embrace it, embrace it. Maybe even disciplines that you've tried to challenge yourself with, like giving, like you're just, I don't know what this is doing. It's small, but it's going to turn into something massive. Continue to trust God with what is small in your life. You want to see him move? Find him in the small places and watch him do something beautiful. Your marriage, your friendships, whatever it is, man, find and meet God in the smallness of who you are. There is so much freedom there, and he's going to change you. The third thing we notice from this parable, you guys, is what happens to the seed. Jesus says the man throws it into the ground, and then it turns into a tree. But I want you to think, what has to happen to the seed in order for the tree to come? It's got to die. Seed's got to die. It's, it's through the death of the seed that the life of the tree comes. You see, it's not just that God is working in what appears to be insignificant, what appears to be small. God is working in what appears, or when it appears, that I am defeated. Think about the places of your life in which you have failed. Think about the places in your life when you have caused your own failure. You've brought it on yourself. You said those words. You did that thing again last night with no one looking. Think about all the places where it appears that you are once again yet defeated and know that this is the birthplace of transformation. This is where the tree is going to actually grow and transform you and change you. This is how God works. This is the way he's working. Think about the life of Jesus. He himself, in the pinnacle moment of his life, appeared to be defeated. This great life, no one lived a better life than Jesus, and yet he is willing at the climax of his life. He's so young. He's 33. Best guess is he's 33. He's got the world ahead of him. He appears to be defeated. He's willing to suffer. He's willing to die. And, and notice this really intimate conversation he has with both his friends, his disciples of the day, and with his heavenly father from Matthew 26. Same gospel towards the end of the letter. I'm sorry, towards the end of the book. Jesus says this. I am deeply grieved to the point of death. How many of you guys are there right now? Notice what he says to his friends. Remain here and stay awake with me. That, that, that's so, that's so puzzled. Jesus felt loneliness. He wants his friends just to stay awake long enough so he doesn't feel alone in prayer. Would you just stay with me? Stay with me. Going a little bit farther, because we know how that went with the disciples. They fell asleep. He fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's anyone who had an expectation of God, it was Jesus in this moment. Is there another way? Is there, is there another option here? But he continues, yet not as I will, but as you will. How many of you have prayed for something that God will, what appears to be, refuse to answer? Refuse to answer. Man, I've prayed for this God. I've prayed for this, this family redemption, this moment of change to happen. Not happen. Prayed for this thing, it's just not happening. Man, I, I take great comfort in knowing 
that like you and I, Jesus knows what it's like to have a prayer request denied by God. As you and I wrestle with the fact that God at times will not meet your expectations, Jesus understands where you're coming from. He understands where you're coming from. Let this cup pass. Is there another way? And and this this is what keeps me constantly coming back to this person, Jesus. This is why I am utterly convinced he is the best king. There is not a better king, not a better kingdom than Jesus. Because unlike other kings, Jesus doesn't defeat his enemies. He simply dies for them. Lovingly dies for his enemies. The ones who rebel against his kingdom, he doesn't say off with their heads. He dies for them. He dies in their place. This this is the profound change in Christianity that makes it so unique is that God in his love is willing to die for the rebels and not kill them. This is what makes his kingdom so different. You see, Jesus doesn't look like Julius Caesar. He doesn't even look like President Biden or President Trump. Jesus' kingdom doesn't look like the Roman Empire or the U.S. of A. for that matter. It is a completely different way of life. And maybe the reason why we can't see him work is because we expect him to be like all of these other little kingdoms that feel so significant. It's not the same. He's not the same kind of person. This is an upside down way of life. This is a countercultural kingdom in which Jesus appears to be defeated and yet he wins. It's not just his death, it's his resurrection, right? This is why Jesus can say to you in such bizarre language, come to me, follow me, lose your life and you'll find it. Give up everything you have and you'll receive more than you can possibly imagine. Admit that you are a sinner, that you need forgiveness and be more free than you would ever dream of, you guys. This is the upside down way of life. This is the invitation of Jesus. This is how his kingdom works. It is unlike everything else. It is so radically different. And it's actually in that moment on the cross when he's dying for you and me, in which theologians have said, that's the moment in which he declares his reign and his rule. The world, Satan, sin through the best of Jesus, and he woke up in three days. He woke up. He came back. He broke the very power of death, Satan, and sin to usher in the kingdom of God and to make it available for all of us right now where we are at. He says, this seed turns into a tree, a tree that becomes the largest tree. In other words, this tree, imagine just for a second, this tree covers the whole earth. You see, this is the point of a parable. A parable for Jesus, we know the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Mustard seed was everywhere in Jerusalem. So anytime those people would have walked by a field, seen mustard seed, boom, they would have triggered the kingdom of heaven is like this. One day it's going to take over everything. It's going to fill this entire world. A parable is meant to connect an idea and an image and to leave you with transformation. Get your imagination turning. Man, God, you're so much more wonderful than I could possibly imagine. I need to make this shift. And he says that this tree will be the largest tree. So, so big, every bird of the sky will come and nest in this tree. This tree will give life and shade to the entire world. The Apostle John says it like this in the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation, if you think about it, is really just a clarification of this parable. All these other kingdoms seem so big. They seem so great. 
It's like difficult things are happening, but the kingdom of God will win in the end. And he says there in uh, Revelation 11, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Another translation says, the kingdoms of the world have now become the kingdom of our God and his Lord, the Messiah. It's beautiful. In other words, the kingdoms of the Middle East will fold. The kingdoms of social media will fold. Celebrity life will fold. The kingdom of liberalism will fall. The kingdom of conservatism will fall. The kingdom of your dream will fall. All kingdoms will fall one day to the kingdom of Jesus. All of it will fall under his reign. And this is good news because this is the kingdom we were meant to live in. And this is the invitation. We are imagined and invited in to not just shift our expectations of God because he can't do what we want him to do, but because he can do so much more than we can imagine him to do. You see, I'm not inviting you to shift towards a smaller view of God, but you're not thinking big enough yet. You're not thinking big enough yet. Sit with this parable. And as we close this series, and even our time right now, I want to offer you with some practical steps forward on how, how we can actually shift our expectations of God. First thing, I want you to do this. You need to confess the expectations that you've right now placed on God. Name those things. Write them down. Share them in community group. Tell somebody today at church, what have you expected of God that is just not true and not right? I'll go first. <laughs> Since I'm up here, I'm asked what to go. <laughs> Over the last few years, I, ha I have expected of God through all of this chaos and all of the, the, the wave of misinformation <laughs> to just bring some clarity <laughs> For people who are, who are struggling to trust elected leaders, smart people, people who we trust to help us make decisions, there is such a growing distrust in society that some of us might feel like there's going to be an utter collapse soon because we don't know who we can trust. Tribalism just makes more sense. Let me just huddle up with the people who think like me, tweet like me, post like me. And I have been praying and just asking that God would bring some clarity. Please, God, something. And he constantly just seems to be apparently telling me no. And I think what, he, what he's saying to me is, Alfredo, it appears that there is no clarity, but I want you to imagine what it's like to follow me through the uncertainty. You see, can you be a follower of my son through the uncertainty? Can you be a husband to Ashley through uncertainty? Can you parent your kids through uncertainty? Can you be a pastor through uncertainty? Or do you really need that clarity? Imagine the trust, the faith, the maturity that's going to be birthed out of following God through what is uncertain. And so in that moment, I got to say, God, I confess that. I've demanded that you bring clarity. I need to embrace following you through uncertainty. So name those things in your life. Name those things right now. Confess them. What have you expected of God? Secondly, you need to release your expected outcomes. Now, now hear me right. I'm not saying throw away your goals, you know, get rid of all the charts, you know, because here in America, we love up and to the right. It's always got to be going up and to the right. I'm not saying throw away goals, but what I'm saying is don't attach your life, joy, and identity to those goals. Release them to God. Release them because it's mustard seeds. It's mustard seeds that's going to create transformation. 
And lastly, identify the parts of your life that appear insignificant, that appear small. This week, think about what in your life is so small, so insignificant, and meet God there in those moments. Meet him there. You know, we, we want a wave, like we want a tsunami, just wave of grace. God sometimes, he just brings a drip. <laughs> this week, you might ask for big things, and you're not getting a wave. You're getting a drip. Be okay with the drip. Be okay with the drip. It's the mustard seed. It's the mustard seed. He's at work in the most bizarre and unique places. For some of you, you have been so convinced that if God is real, he must do what I would imagine God would do. But you see, the assumption there is that you think God and you are on the same page. (laughs) And you're just not. But the good news is his son Jesus is here to invite you to discover what it's like to follow him. I want you some, some of you, man, you can do that right now. So we pray. Some of you, you confess for the first time and you follow Jesus. For the rest of us, there's also an opportunity to surrender our expectations and to ask God to make us mustard seeds who can follow him through the uncertainty, the craziness of this world as we shift our expectations. Let's do that now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we ask God that you would continue to be moving in the smallness. God, would you move in what feels so insignificant? And would you move even through our defeat? Would you change us? God, we want to dream big of you, but oftentimes we just, we dream too small. And so would you help us to embrace Jesus as the king who is in fact bringing a kingdom that will one day rule it all. We trust you, we follow you until that beautiful, glorious day. And it's in your name we pray, amen.